Five o'clock hour, Cofield, ESPN Las Vegas, Cofield and Company. Finley Toyota Studios, you heard it. Adam Candy's here. Damon is here. A lot has been established today. A report in the local paper, the RJ, this morning. Uh, check that. Actually, going back to yesterday, uh, Josh Jacobs expected to report to the Raiders before the beginning of the season. Uh, Jacobs responded later in the day with a tweet at the Review Journal. Damn, I don't remember saying that. So uh, he's disputing the report. Report a little while ago that Johnny Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, the Colts great running back, has been given permission to go and seek out a trade. So that's kind of special there. So uh, running back still in very much uh, peril around the National Football League. We had a Patriots insider, Andy Gresh from WEEI, said that he likes the Pats to have a good season, win 10 games. So uh, I guess the Assumption Airs are going to beat the Raiders, as we did our uh, Patriots preview a little while ago. They're going to beat the Raiders in Week 6 on Sunday, October 15th. All right, Candy. We got a lot to unravel here. And for folks who don't know, Candy's really big into sports gambling, not playing, but he does play, but also for Legal Sports Report, legalsportsreport.com. You sent over an interesting story about golf now being worried that fans could be on the course and betting. I don't even know if you would call this micro betting, like betting on someone to miss a putt. So you can correct me on this, but potentially just yelling all over the course to try to screw up players. No, I think you're right about talking about this specific situation that prompted the story that I sent you today from ESPN's David Purdom, where the PGA Tour was essentially saying, yeah, we're not particularly worried about this because there was a dude who had yelled at Max Homa when he was trying to make a putt. Max Homa ends up making the putts. They talked to Max Homa later and he said, look, this is very rare. It doesn't happen very often, but I'm, you know, it is something that I think we're all worried about to some degree is when people are betting on golf, are they going to be more likely to come out to the course and yell at someone or try to distract them or try to influence their ability to make a shot? And look, just in a vacuum, makes sense. How often are fans given the kind of access to have the kind of impact that you do in golf or in tennis, these sports that are played in forced silence while people are hitting their shots? I get it. But please do not try to tell me that we're going to act like no one has ever bet on golf before 2018. It is the ultimate betting sport. It is the sport that everybody bets on with each other when they go out and play. Let's not act like it's the first time this has been potentially an issue. And if it wasn't a problem in the past, I don't think it's going to suddenly become a problem just because some guy is able to get, and I believe it was $3 down on a putt that he's going to cause a problem? Yeah. Like, come come now. Come now. Let's not act like we've had our heads in the sands since the time of Ben Hogan. There's been betting on golf for a long time. This is not new. This brings me back to a subject I've talked about often. When a golf tournament is going on, why can't we yell? I can yell at Jimmy Garoppolo when he's throwing a pass. I can scream at James Harden when he's shooting a free throw. Right? Why can't we do it? It's the part that's ridiculous to me because if you ask a wide range of athletes, what's the hardest thing to do in sports? They're all going to tell you it's to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Here's someone hurling this ball that you have to figure out if it's going to hit you in the head 
or if you should swing at it and try to put it over the fence. Okay, and you have a reaction time of well less than a second, and nobody is asked at a baseball game to shut their fat yaps while that ball is coming to the plate. In fact, they're encouraged right. to be as loud as humanly possible, so I don't know why golf and tennis get the pass that they do. Okay. Boy, this one's right up your alley, and uh, we haven't had uh, Candy on. He's been doing a lot of filling on the uh, press box, a wonderful show. We love our morning show. You're doing it again tomorrow. Um, I'll be there. Oh, boy. Former Iowa State basketball player charged in uh, state's gambling investigation. Another person is in this net. This is crazy. Um, I'm particularly interested in this one because uh, Rutgers basketball, where I went to school, we're like, yeah, you know what, we, let's get a backup guard, this Jeremiah Williams kid from Temple. Uh, he wants to come back to the area. Let's have him come to Rutgers, be one of the backup point guards. And I look up today, uh, yeah. So he's being investigated, and as they put it, uh, with tampering with records related to the uh, the probe into the sports gambling. So another guy who sounds like he signed up under a false pretenses with his account. So what's the latest on this one? Is there are we over are we over ten athletes? Are we at like seven or eight between Iowa and Iowa State who are in this net? Uh, we are approaching ten at this point who are part of this situation. Here's the biggest thing you got to understand is that you're hearing about not the NCAA with penalties. You're hearing about criminal charges. That's the big distinction. It's the big change from what you've heard about in the past. And it might seem counterintuitive. This is a good thing. You should be hearing about criminal charges when kids are conspiring with their parents to open accounts when they're underage, when they're betting on their own games, when they're using inside information, potentially, to be able to place these wages. These are the things that should be criminally prosecuted because this is what builds faith in the legal market. This is what keeps the feeling that things are on the level for people. Because how often have we heard the NFL is rigged? It's rigged. Well, you don't hear about anything other than suspensions from the league when it comes to players in the NFL. We've talked about how stupid some of those are, like for Jameson Williams betting on college games. But what you hear about here is criminal charges putting the real hammer down on guys who are doing things they're not supposed to do. Think about it this way. It's almost like getting inoculated for a disease, like a flu shot. Like, it's going to hurt for a little bit. You might even feel a little bit fluish while it happens. But in the long run, you're going to be better off for the fact that you did it. We're going to have to go through a little bit of this with the legal market coming into play now. You're going to hear about more players getting popped because that's exactly what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to hear about the bad actors because this stuff's been going on, whether it's with bookies or whether it's with offshore accounts for a very long time with no accountability or regulation. So let's add on to the story. Jamison Williams is a guy who did get caught in the net in the NFL. He suspended four, six games, gambling related suspension. Do you feel bad about Jamison Williams? And I'm going to throw this out there. I don't think that the big galoot, Dan Campbell really knows the answer, but he's under the assumption that if you're banned from the team, you're banned from the facility, what if you're hurt in the preseason? So he was expressing concern about Williams not being able to come in for treatment to the facility. Is this a you know tough you-know-whats situation, or is the NFL overstepping here? Is this beyond a penalty? Well, the Jameson Williams situation, I think you got to talk about what he actually did, and then you can talk about why it's ridiculous, because what Jameson Williams got popped for was betting on something that was not at all related to the NFL. We've heard that it was a college football game. And more importantly, 
that the problem was about where he placed the bet because it was apparently on a team road trip that was the problem. And he was suspended for six games. Six games. Ray Rice knocked out his girlfriend, got two. Alvin Kamara stomped a dude outside a club, got three. And Jameson Williams bet from the wrong place on a game that didn't have anything to do with the NFL and got six. And apparently, according to Dan Campbell, isn't allowed anywhere near the team facility because of it. And this is the sort of thing that that causes bigger problems in the long run, because when that guy comes back, if he's not right physically, if he's not right mentally, you've essentially taken that suspension and made it longer than it ever should have been in the first place when a guy's trying to get back up to speed. So I really do think there needs to be a little bit more consideration as to why somebody was suspended if we're going to talk about banning them from being anywhere around the team. We mentioned early in the show the hysteria from some fans some content creators, some media people over AOC, Aiden O'Connell, and how he's played in the first couple of games, and I keep seeing his numbers put up, and, man, he's been great. Not mocking on it, right? Just trying to put it in perspective. It's not against ones. It's not really against schemes. Uh, it's, it's a good sign that he looks like he can play, but let's not get crazy over the whole thing. Uh, Kyle Cowherd today on The Herd over on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas was complimenting Aiden O'Connell, said he's the best backup quarterback in the league, which, again, I think we need to see a little bit more, but that's fine. But what it led into was this pitch for the Raiders and Josh McDaniels, and it started out with the biggest thing for Hurd, hey, this team has talent. I think we can argue that they have some holes, but this team has talent. Now the next big thing we need to find out is – can this guy be a head coach? We're talking about Joshy, Josh McDaniels. Can he be a head coach in the National Football League? And Hurd started listing some of the positive, or check that, positives of McDaniels. Here's the question what we're all asking about the Raiders. Can Josh McDaniels coach? There's three boxes he checks, and they're important boxes. Belichick respected him enough to give him the offense for over a decade. Belichick doesn't just give the offense for long, sustained periods of time to a guy that he doesn't think is smart. So Belichick, for 10-plus years, said, you run the offense. We also know Brady loved him, absolutely loved him. Well, Brady had problems with coaches down in Tampa. He didn't have any problems with Josh McDaniels. All right, Candy, that's two boxes checked. Can Josh McDaniels coach? Okay, you're doing this. You're doing the check side, Okay. Two boxes checked. Um, do you need to react, or would you like to hear another box that, that uh, Josh McDaniels checks? No, let's check on, baby. Got checking. You got to be a communicator. Fire away. Now, he got frustrated with Derek Carr, but I was told two weeks ago by somebody in that organization, a lot of people were getting frustrated with Derek Carr. He wasn't for everybody. Josh McDaniels is not a rigid, old, defensive coach. He's not one of these guys that struggles to communicate. There's a lot to like. Okay. So he is a communicator, and he he did talk about the Broncos days that he was you know he was immature. Maybe it was a little too much for him. That happens to lots of people. Okay, so that's the the case being presented on Josh McDaniels. Heard like some positives. Uh, let's listen to Heard close this out and see where he wants to go in terms of Raider prognostications for the twenty twenty three season. You know they've looked good in the preseason. Garoppolo when he's upright is good. They have excellent offensive weapons. Keep your eye. The Raiders are fascinating to me. It's If you have a great edge rusher, a competent quarterback who's been to a Super Bowl, star back, star weapons, 
That's a lot of the boxes to check. Offensive coach. There's a lot of things they have. That's a lot of boxes that win 10, 12 games in this. All right. In this league. There you go. All right, Candy. We had a Patriots expert come on earlier, say he was very bullish about New England. Seven and a half win total. They could win 10. Heard just listed a lot of those individual player spots where they're solid or more than solid. Here we go. Here we go. All you people out there with your negative talk for months and months. I told you this team could be good. Colin says so. Candy, you and your damn morning show and negativity. Whew. Brick by brick building that argument up, huh? Like checking every box. Here's this one. Here's this one. Here's this one. All of a sudden, you're going to stand up on top of that big wall and look over the top, and you're going to see a 12-win team. There they are, baby. Um, By the way, I'm describing how high you have to stand because the media (laughs) has to look over three fields to be able to see uh, where the Raiders are doing any of their practicing. Let's not be uh, salty about some limitations. During the the day. It's about communication. Um, Okay. All right. Um, If you want to dream on the Raiders squint real hard, um, ask your grandma about what it was like when things were better generations ago and 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 see a nine or ten win team. It's not impossible, right? It's not impossible. Yep. Jimmy Garoppolo is, you know, a, let's let's not a poor man's Derek Carr, but like a middle class man's Derek Carr. And Devontae Adams is still great. Max Crosby is still great. There, there, are, there are things to dream on, but um Josh McDaniels isn't one of them. Like Josh McDaniels has nothing but negatives in his track record thus far as a head coach. Like if we want to go check mark by check mark, we can. Uh, yeah, Belichick also really trusted Charlie Weiss for quite a long time with his offense, and he didn't turn out to be much of a head coach uh, at Notre Dame or at Kansas. I don't remember anyone talking about his communication abilities or uh, how he was able to relate to everybody. Um, you know, I, I I don't think that we need to delve too far into the idea of how great he was with players because, Cofield, you were with me. I remember when we talked to Ryan Harris, our, uh, our insider from Denver, and he was telling us that uh, it was about as bad as he'd ever seen between uh, head coach and players. And, yeah, you can talk about how that was the old school first time around Josh McDaniels. Um, ask Darren Waller how great a communicator Josh McDaniels is. Ask Trent Sieg, the long snapper who he unceremoniously dumped how great a communicator uh, Josh McDaniels is. There's a lot of evidence to the other side. You want to believe the Raiders can win. That's cool. But it's not because of McDaniels. This Friday, we start off our uh, live show run at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Come down every Friday. Really, you can go down just about any day of the week. Free parking, free valet at TI. That's cool, especially for you locals out there, and then we'll have prizes throughout the season every Friday. We're going to do a uh, Cofield and Company 3 to 6 each Friday, and then from 9A to 11A, we'll have another edition of Throw the Flag each Saturday. The spot to check out tons of sports on the 60-foot video wall. I think the total TV's in there. It's like 55-plus. I'll go plus because I don't have the exact number. 55-plus TVs, betting kiosks that are open 24-7, great sports book, excellent selection of uh, drinkies and Beers on tap, and they've got a great fish and chip special on Friday where you get a beer and you get to keep the Collector Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar glass. It's every Friday. We'll be there at 3 o'clock with Cofield and Company inside Treasure Island. Interesting day, if I can say it, interesting day of breaking news. We talked about it first half of the day. I'm like, eh, what's going on today? Seems a little weird, a little weird vibe. I know something's coming. 
right? So Jonathan Taylor now has permission, the running back for the Colts, to work out a trade. Josh Jacobs basically said to uh, multiple people reporting that he'll be back before the beginning of the season. I didn't say that. And then there was this one, Candy, which uh, you know we can make an angle out of it. Uh, that is UNLV-related because we don't have to make it up. UNLV is playing at Michigan. Did you see now Harbaugh is back to being suspended at the beginning of the season? It is a self-imposed by the university. Three-game suspension, so Harbaugh will miss the first three games of the year. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my Rutgers Scarlet Knights will probably be right there nip and tuck. Uh, well, no, Harbaugh will be back. So Harbaugh will be fired up to blow them off the field. But the first three games, he is now back to being off the sidelines. Big Ten University presidents and discipline for their head coaches seems to be quite the off-season storyline here, Cofield, doesn't it? After what happened with Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, now it's going on with Harbaugh. It's a little bit weird. So it's a little bit weird. I don't think they wanted to wait any longer. It's like, hey, let's just pay the penalty, and hopefully we can move forward on this one. All right, so uh, UNLV will be playing Michigan. They are going to be a very healthy dog, I'm guessing north of 30 points. I saw you sent over a guy named Chris Vanini. Is he still with The Athletic? Yes. Okay. So I think Chris's role is pretty interesting at The Athletic. He is kind of the coverall guy for Group of Five, which has always made me a bit leery. That's a lot of schools to cover. And he put together a list of all 133 Division One programs, and where's UNLV? Uh, currently ranked 110. Okay. So what do you think? Well, I'm going to ask you what you think because yeah. there's an interesting theme that develops pretty quickly in this list where you see Colorado State 106, Utah State 107, UNLV 110, uh, Hawaii 127, Nevada 128, New Mexico 129. It, does it just does it feel to you like he just took the entire bottom of the Mountain West Conference, yeah. threw them in a blender, and saw yeah. what sort of sushi came out and stuck it at the bottom of the list? Um, yeah, one of the first things I thought of was, and this goes for a lot of teams, even in Power Five, in the Group of Five level now. There are teams in the Mountain West Conference I don't even dare to give a prediction on. And that, I mean, it doesn't include UNLV for me because I'm covering the team and I'm out there at all the practices, so I probably have a better read. And he shouldn't have a great read on UNLV. He's not here every day. Um, But I thought about it when I saw this, and I was like, UNLV has north of 40 new players. Okay? How do you predict what they're going to be if you really don't cover the team? Colorado State... I think Jay Norvell at Mountain West Conference Media Day mentioned they have 39 new players. Nevada has a new starting quarterback and new running backs. Those positions are kind of important, right? New Mexico went from one of the worst quarterback situations we've seen in recent times in the Mountain West Conference um, to the tune of, I think they... Failed to score more than 21 points in 20 of 21 games, Candy. They have a new quarterback who you know put up some numbers at UAB. New quarterbacks are kind of a big deal, and they can turn around a program to the tune of like two or three wins. I'm not going to say both of those schools 
Nevada and New Mexico are going to get better than, you know, get better by two or three wins, but they could. UNLV could be a lot better. UNLV could also have a rash of injuries, and then they're really tested at that point, right? If Brumfield goes down and Jaden Maiava is the starting quarterback, that changes things a lot. So these lists where I'm sure an editor was like, hey, you know, put out a list of all 133 schools. I mean, how much, how much do you really take as, hey, this guy's accurate. He really had a strong opinion, like you said, when he just takes five Mountain West Conference teams, and he's like, I'll just stuff them from 107 down to 127. The, the thing that really gets me about the list is this, and I get it. We're, I mean, just even by engaging, we're giving them, the, giving them the, the pop they want for their list. I understand. To put UNLV 110 coming off a five-win season – and to take your argument and flip it 180 degrees when they do have a returning starting quarterback right. feels irresponsible to me. That doesn't feel like you took a lot of time putting your list together because if you're just going to give me, and this is the only information that's next to these rankings, is last year's record. <laughs> so I'm going to assume right. that's the biggest thing you used. If you're going to tell me that in a conference where you think it's so bad that half of the conference is at 106 or lower, and you're going to tell me the team that has, we're going to assume Doug Brumfield, if healthy and playing a full season, is a top five quarterback in the Mount West. If you're going to tell me that team is 110th in the country coming off a five win season, I have some questions about your methods. I mean, you remember a year ago, they were five and seven. They had four swing games. Uh, Cal kind of ended on a, a missed call on a PI in the end zone. They could have pulled the upset there. They had two uh, terrible missed tackles that led to long touchdowns against Fresno, who went on to uh, win the conference championship game. San Diego State was a rock fight. They could have won that one. And Hawaii was a game where they just got physically beat up, and I don't think they were there mentally. Now, again, they weren't going to go 4-0 in those games. But, you know, a couple things go right, a little concentration, that's a couple extra wins. So I, I think UNLV is in, uh, you know, and they're running for a better season. I do like Barry Odom a lot, and I think their defense is going to be good. I, I'm, when have we been able to say that, right? I think they have they have enough personnel, they have enough depth, they have enough size. The scheme is really interesting. They match the transfer portal guys to the scheme, so I think they'll be a pretty good defensive team. But they got to have some things go right, and then they can you know finally kind of you know turn the corner and get to six or seven wins, which should be a minimum standard here at UNLV with a good coach and good facilities and the ability to recruit. So we'll see if uh, this writer Vanini is right. And they're uh, the number 110 team in the country at a 133. Rolling on. 5 o'clock hour. Adam Candy is here. Man. He just would not get on board with the Raiders winning 12 games, as Colin Cowherd said, could possibly happen this year. So we're going to bring in someone positive. Media, sort of a fan. Autumn Windbags podcast. Veteran broadcaster, RJ Clifford. And we'll see what he has for us. RJ, how are you, my friend? I'm awesome. You know why, Cofield? Because it's optimism season. Yeah. That's what the preseason is yes. for. Yes. For optimism. Yes. Raiders are 6-0 and under Josh McDaniels in the preseason. The GOAT of the preseason. Aiden O'Connell playing lights out in the preseason. What is there not to be optimistic about? It's the preseason. We had a bite from Colin Cowherd earlier saying, AOC is already the best backup quarterback in the league. How about that? Hey. The ultimate 
ultimate optimism season, what Colin co- Cowherd. Saying what, exactly what I needed to hear. What a compliment, right? What a compliment. Right? Um, well, I mean, let, let's look at it seriously, though. Uh, you certainly don't want the opposite where someone looks like they're completely clueless out there. It looks like they've sure. gotten a guy who can be the backup, could potentially be in the mix uh, as a future starting quarterback. He looks competent. That's a good thing. Yeah, and even before the draft, um, there were a couple, you know, draft experts that were that were thinking that Aiden O'Connell would fit into Josh McDaniel's offense. And so I started kind of looking him up a little bit at Purdue and immediately I'm like, all right, this guy looks exactly like Farva from Super Troopers, so I hope we draft him. <laughs> okay. And then I watched him a little bit more and I'm like, no, wait, I like I fell in love with him for the wrong reason, but I'm staying in love with him for the right reason. I don't think he's made more than three bad throws in two preseason games. I mean, he only had three incompletions. Uh, against the 49ers in the first preseason game. Both of them were drops by Trey Tucker. He looked, uh, you know, we were looking forward to him playing against the Rams this uh, this last weekend. Hey, was it a one-time wonder? Is he kind of figuring it out? But, I mean, he seems like he's, seems like he's got it all. Like, accuracy, touch, timing, anticipation. He moves well in the pocket. Um, and then just the, kind of the two knocks on him haven't really been a major issue. He's slow. He's a pure pocket passer. Um, and he doesn't have, like, a rocket for an arm, but he makes up with it with, with anticipation and timing. So, um Again, preseason, but like, what else would you, you can't see much better out of Aiden O'Connell than we have so far. All right, on to Josh McDaniels. So a big part of the herd conversation was, hey, McDaniels is the question. When you've got a roster like this that has some really good individual talent, uh, can the guy be a head coach? It didn't work in Bronco land. It didn't really work well last year. Can I throw out a positive about Josh McDaniels? Don't be a stubborn old ass. And I think he has shown himself to not be stubborn on this topic. He veered away from, we're not going to play the starting quarterback in the preseason. That, to me, is a little bit of growth. And the fact that Jimmy G is out there is a good move. And by the way, other coaches are starting to go in this direction. And I'll also throw out, uh, the best organization in football has no problem giving Patrick Mahomes more than enough time in the meaningless preseason. Andy Reid is just so old school, isn't he? Starters are playing, <laughs> double days, training camp away. Um, and I feel like Josh McDaniels in a lot of ways is, is kind of that same mentality, right? I mean, you, work, you work under Belichick for that long. You start like how old couples start to kind of look the same. Josh McDaniels was, was with Belichick for so long, they're starting to like kind of act the same in a lot of ways. A little grouchy, a little, little old school, but... Um, like you mentioned, the, the X's and O's we know is there. Like he knows what it's like being in a winning program. We know what it's like to be a winning offensive coordinator, but can he do, I think one of the most underrated aspects of head coaching and that's just being a leader of men, right? That's just like getting these guys motivated and having them believe in themselves and not blow all these second half leads like they did last season. So that was always the big question, right? With him coming over here, like we know the brain power is there. Can he be kind of like pound on your chest or, you know, love the guys into being well or whatever strategy may be. That's always what he's been having to figure out. And so far it hasn't worked out with the, uh, with the wins and loss columns. RJ, I want to switch it over to the UFC. Well, no, no, oh, no, 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 you want to no, stay no, on the Raiders? No, no. Yeah, we're doing a well, – let's get to UFC. Uh, no. i got to put a stop on that kibosh on this no, one. No, no, no. Well, go ahead. <laughs> let's let's, – because there's a couple more things to address with the Raiders, a couple of angles uh, from the autumn windbags I want to hit uh, moving forward. Um, the other the other thing that's going on today, and it really started on Sunday. I'm sorry, Damon. The other thing that started on Sunday, RJ, was the report from the local paper. Running back Josh Jacobs is expected to report to the Raiders before their season opener. In three weeks, multiple league sources have indicated. Jacobs mm-hmm. responded today by saying, uh, damn, I don't remember saying that. 
Where are you on Josh Jacobs? Are you starting to get mad at him? Uh, how soon does he need to be in to be ready 100% for the beginning of the season? Because coming out of the gates, this is not an easy schedule. They're on the road three or four games, so three of the first four games. So, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs, oh, we'll give him some time to warm up. Like, he's, we got to be, and I'm not, you know, speaking as a Raiders organization, like, we got we to have this running back ready to go from the get go. And he's played so well against the Broncos in the last few seasons. That's who we open up against, right? So it's, uh, yeah, you're there. Look, I can't get mad. I'll never, ever get mad at a professional athlete within the bounds of what he has trying to get paid whatever he can, especially a sport as tough as football, especially in a position as rough as running back where the careers are so short. I can, I will never, ever blame an athlete of any sport saying I need to cash in now because I don't know how long my career is going to be. And I know all y'all fans aren't going to be putting food on my table 10 years from now when I'm broke. However, what is the point of this holdout? There's no negotiation. He has no leverage. It's either signing the contract, uh, the franchise tag, the tender, or you don't. Or you don't. Or you're sitting out for the year. Like, what good is it to wait this long unless he just wants a vacation? I mean, this feels just like because he can't be fined for missing the preseason in these workouts. He's just like, I'm just not gonna. I'm just not gonna. Because I don't know what he thinks he's holding out for. So th- this is no longer about making money with him. I think it's more of just kind of like, eh, I'm going to take my vacation because I'm not going to get fined for it and make a little bit of a stand. Because he is a pretty, he does have a high standard and he does have a lot of scruples and morals. And so I think just kind of on principle, that's where he's going. But it has no purpose. The con- it's, it's a franchise tag. Sign it. There's nothing else to do. Autumn Windbags. The Autumn Windbags uh, up on Twitter. It's actually at The Windbags. RJ Clifford, longtime MMA expert, a big football fan. been doing this podcast for a while. You can find it on uh, all of your podcast providers, iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube. It's up there as well. Lots of others. Okay, your postgame show for the Rams tilt where they blew the Rams off the field. Give me a good narrative or two that you guys concentrated on, aside from AOC. Uh, the defense finally getting those turnovers. So it was a simple one, right? Just a really easy pass to uh, that USC safety caught it. But hey, he ran it off, got the six, no problem. Had a bunch of missed uh, turnover opportunities in the first preseason game. And I feel like that's the goal of this new defense because there really was no identity last season with this defense. Um, two seasons ago, there was at least this like, all right, we're not going to let the big plays hurt us. And it really didn't. It was very hard to, to, to burst a run out for 65 or throw a 40-yard pass against the Raiders two seasons ago. They gave up everything else, right? They were bad in the red zone, bad with turnovers, terrible with sacks, gave up a ton of yards, but at least that was part of their identity. I feel like this year it's about being super aggressive and forcing turnovers. You're going to give up big plays in that process, but when you force the offense to, to make a mistake, either Max Crosby's getting the quarterback's face or something like that, and the turnovers come your way, you have to take advantage of it. Didn't see it in preseason game one. Saw it a little better in preseason game two. All right, RJ, now I'm going to move over to the <laughs> Is UFC. Is Cofield going to let you? Is going to let I'll you stop. talk to the UFC now? I got, I, got the, okay. I got the clear signs. I got the clear signs. Good. So <laughs> UFC 292 took place in Boston this Saturday. The Sugar Show was in full effect. Just how big is Sean O'Malley? Is a fan favorite with the UFC? Is he that next big star they've been waiting on? He's the biggest name in the UFC under 185 pounds, not named Conor McGregor, by, by just about every non-pay-per-view number metric. So all the internal metrics that the UFC has on social media, YouTube clicks, they've got NASA computers all over the place figuring out exactly 
who's the guy to push, how big he is, where he's big, all that kind of stuff. And he he's on top in every category. Um, Israel Adesanya is at 185. It's they could be pretty close. He's been champion for a long time. Obviously, Connor's the biggest thing since sliced bread, but he is huge. And to be able to knock out, arguably, I think in a lot of people's opinions, the best bantamweight ever in Aljamain Sterling in emphatic fashion in Boston, pay per view main event says a lot. And also, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but normally when the UFC has a pay per view, the finish of the main event they don't let you have. They don't they, they don't let it get out there. It's under copyright because they don't want mm-hmm. you. Uh, they want you to buy the pay-per-view to watch it. They didn't do that this time. The second Sean O'Malley knocked out Andrew Sterling and the pay-per-view was over, it was on ESPN social media. It was on uh, UFC social media and YouTube. They think they have something huge here, the next Conor McGregor. So they're breaking their own long-standing rule and being able to let that highlight go viral, and it has. So who should be next for Sean O'Malley in that first title defense? Should it be Cheeto, that rematch, or Marab, who's ranked at number one and just didn't have that title shot because he didn't want to fight Aljo as his teammate? It should be Marab Devalashvili. It should be if there's any true, like, sporting essence to this. But there's also, he's also just had a hand surgery, so we're not exactly sure on his timeline. That's not someone Sean O'Malley wants to face. That is the absolute worst possible matchup for Aljamain Sterling. Marab is so gritty, so tough, and, you know, uh, Aljamain Sterling is a good wrestler, but he's more of kind of like a slick, let me get you against the cage, kind of roll around and get something on you. Well, Marab is just a bull. He's just in your face constantly, and that's something that I don't think Sean O'Malley really wants. And plus, it's just so hard to put away. I mean, if there's if there's a nuclear holocaust, the only thing that will survive <laughs> right. are Twinkies, cockroaches, and Marab Devalishvili. I mean, he's just that hard to put away. I feel like you've used that line before, but uh, we'll allow it on the show. Was that original? For Marab, I think. I think I've used it for Marab, so I'm staying consistent. All right. Um, I don't. What is a What does Cejudo have coming up? And would that be a freaking nightmare matchup? I mean, I know he did lose to Sterling as well. Uh, yeah. What he hasn't fought since May. So what's his deal coming up? So he was supposed to fight on this card, UFC 292 in Boston on Saturday, but an injury kept him from doing that. So. Um, there's just too many good options for Sean O'Malley at 135, and he's a lot of good options. There's even some bad options for him. Right. Um, they're not going to have him fight a guy coming off of a loss, even someone as popular right. and, and as accomplished as Henry Cejudo. There's just too many other options for him. Um, and I, I really think it's going to be Cheeto Vera. That's the matchup that Sean O'Malley wants. It's the only guy to have beaten Sean O'Malley, so you want to get that get that revenge. Um, Cheeto's a pretty big fan favorite. He was victorious on Saturday, and I think the UFC likes that matchup. So that's that's most likely what's going to happen. RJ Clifford, Autumn Windbags, check out the podcast on the Raiders, uh, adding more and more coverage. He's also on SiriusXM Channel 156, MMA, combat expert. What do you got coming up this week in terms of shows? Uh, so we'll do a show a day early. I'm actually heading to Singapore tomorrow for Ooh. the UFC's next show, Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombies. So we'll do a little bit earlier. Tuesday's show will record. Nice. Uh, it'll air on Wednesday. And, of course, uh, just looking to see what the Raiders' 53-man roster is going to look like. Um, probably not going to see any starters in the final preseason game. Then, of course, Josh Jacobs watch. Yes. When will he finally show up? Okay. We're not done yet. Um, you've been to Singapore before, correct? I have, yes. Beautiful okay. place. Just it's about 30 hours door to door to get there. So <laughs> very, very rigid. I know you're a slob, so don't throw anything on the ground. Yep. Um, very wise. Yep. What's your favorite thing about Singapore? Is it the food? What else, what else is cool there? It's, it's the. It's the rare Asian country. Like, you, you know, like there's a lot of great Asian cities out there in, in China, Korea, Thailand. But, they, but this is the one where it's the most, like, clean cut. And that's the hard part. Like you said, rigid. I'd say it's, you know, 
darn nor totalitarian, right? Okay. I think there's a story that they hanged a guy for having like 50 milligrams of heroin. Oh, boy. This, uh, just a few months ago. Yes. So Lord knows I'm going to be on my best behavior. But on the flip side of that, it's <laughs> extremely clean. People are extremely friendly. Uh, you can walk around the streets in the middle of the night and, and feel safe. It's just, just super safe is, and clean. Is Love there it. not a bar scene? So beer's there, or it's like $18 for a drink? No. Yes. What it's brutal. It's brutal. That's why you pack all those uh, bunch of little shooters on yeah. the way to go there. Pack ahead of time. All right. That's all I needed to know about Singapore. Hard pass. Um, let's close on this. <laughs> uh, speaking of a guy who would have a hard pass going to Singapore, uh, I, I think he would, he would be arrested the second he got off the plane. Um, Conor McGregor. Uh, I just, you know, it's a stupid tweet, but I had to, I had to tweet something out over the weekend when I saw Conor McGregor saying, UFC won't let me fight. And I just did like the mind blown. Like, who mm. could have seen this coming? This is getting kind of absurd. Like, Conor just needs to c- come to the table and go, I will test. I will get clean if I'm not clean. Um, when are we going to see him? Because now if he's going to start playing games like, oh, UFC screw me over, they won't let me fight. Like, brah, we all know why they won't let you fight. You got to go and test. Yeah, so for those who don't know, USADA has a six-month window where if you go out of the USADA testing pool, which he did because he broke his leg, I'm actually a very big proponent of what Conor McGregor did to be able to go out of it and then be able to – because he had a, a terrible leg injury. And so to be able to like heal from that, there's yeah. a lot of great medicine out there yeah. that's banned by USADA but can help you heal. Like If you have a, that debilitating of injury, you should be allowed to take HGH. You should be allowed to take you know, these things that will help you heal and get back in there faster. And then you know, when, it's, when it's time to get back into the pool, you, you, you come back. So I, I like – that this was a thing that Conor McGregor did. Hopefully he can make this a standard moving forward. But yeah, it's just, he's just waiting. I mean, he said earlier in the week that he's going to, he's got three fights left in him. Um, he wants to end it with the trilogy with Nate Diaz. The curveball here is I believe he only has two fights left on his UFC contract. Okay. And so if he does those two fights, Justin Gaethje and you know, Tile Shot or whatever he wants to do, Michael Chandler, does that final fight, Does are, is the UFC able to resign him before that looming potential trilogy with free agent Nate Diaz? That, to me, is the biggest story here when he starts fighting again. RJ, good spot. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Have a good trip. Thanks, guys. Boy, that was – that. I, I'm disappointed I even went down that path. I, feel, I felt like I talked Singapore before, but, I mean, that sounds to me like the, the freaking Singapore is like the Utah of Southeast Asia. Forget about it. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, Candy, grab bag time. Grab bag time. A very intense conversation coming up about a media boycott. Oh, these are dreaded. What will the media do in this particular city if this running back doesn't speak to him anymore? Joe Mixon is outraged. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're outraged. We're all outraged. Joe Mixon's not going to talk to anybody anymore. And, uh, oh, wait a minute. No, it's not It's not everybody. Yeah. Oh, he has a very specific list. Oh, I see. So Joe Mixon, who has basically had some level of off-field trouble all the way back to college, throughout the entirety of his pro career mm-hmm. uh, has now made clear to reporters from Sports Illustrated, from ESPN, from Cincinnati Inquirer that he will not be speaking to them anymore. And when asked why, he told them they know why. Okay. Uh, what message is it that we're getting across? Is it that these reporters were the ones who covered the fact that you had a domestic violence issue in college? Is it that they're writing about the fact that 
you're being sued and investigated for shooting at teenagers in their yard, your yard. I don't know. It could have been both uh, based on what we've heard about this story so yeah. far. Hey, give it up, man. Give, give it up. You, you, you already look bad on principle alone, and you're only looking worse by pulling this petty crap. Yeah. His, uh, his agent went at the one dude from ESPN.com, Ben Baby, and said, you know exactly why Joe Mixon is not speaking to you anymore. And by the way, you mentioned you know some of the legal issues, and we, we should start this out by, by doubling and tripling down, and I guess he wouldn't like this. Bro, you're in the league following knocking out a woman on camera at a restaurant. Like, there is a lot of fortune here. Now, he's certainly shown he can play in the NFL. He's an NFL-level talent, but I'm not saying he has to pay for it for life, but to then turn around five, six years later and be like, how dare you cover more of my issues, honestly, and maybe gave an opinion, too. Now you're banned. This is The agent here is a dummy. Mixon's not doing himself uh, any favors. And by the by the way, what was the theme today from the get-go about running backs? Right? You're very replaceable. In fact, Jim Ursay, I gotta stand up for this. I never sit down. I'm losing, I'm losing it. Um yeah, Jim Ursay basically told a top three running back in the league, we don't give an F if you're here. You're replaceable. And Joe Mixon? Who cold cocked a woman in college? Like, bro, this is your lifeline as a running of all the positions in a league. To be like, you got to show me respect. I, they don't. You're adding fuel to the fire here, Damon. Am I going overboard on one Joe Mixon? Should I even be bringing up something that happened in college? No, not at all. You're not going overboard. It's just the facts are just so damning for him. Mm-hmm. So he's the last person to be talking. And I actually like Ben Baby, so I don't know what he did. I'm going to stick up for Ben. <laughs> um, I have mixed feelings on Ben, I'll just be honest, but I won't get into him. Okay. Uh, he just he, – uh, I remember stuff like this. He threw out a line last year during the Super Bowl. and uh, uh, I'm sorry, during the playoffs. And obviously the Bengals are a hot commodity, and he was getting a lot of calls, and he had, he had kind of thrown out a theory like, maybe I should get paid to do all these spots. And you're right, maybe you should be paid, but – you also work for ESPN.com, and there are ESPN affiliates around the country who would like you to come on, and we probably can't pay you, Mr. Baby. Sorry. But that doesn't – I'm not saying, you know, like, yay, Joe Mixon for trying to shut out the guy. So he was just throwing out an idea. Was always available for the short-lived the fight game with DeMond Cotton. Oh, is that right? Is he a fight guy? <laughs> yeah, I'm boxing. Oh, okay. All right. Go back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Again, we'll go behind the media curtain, Candy. Uh, big news with uh, Big Roos. Uh, Diana Rossini, uh, basically, folks, anyone who uh, has Russ at the beginning of their name, uh, Chris Russell, uh, Diana Rossini, they're all big roots. Uh, Chris is north of 350 pounds. Rossini is south of 105. So, uh, you know, it's a more my big roots thing is like it's a big presence, big presence. Um, how big a presence will she be? What did she just give up? If folks don't know, uh, one of the NFL insiders who actually got a little boost from Aaron Rodgers, kind of busting her chops. Diana Rossini is going to the athletic and leaving ESPN, and I know people out there are like, who watches ESPN anymore? You know you do. You know, being part of the ESPN family is a big deal for media people. So your thoughts on Rossini to The Athletic? I think the smart opportunity to say, 
the door will always be slightly shut at ESPN at the top with guys like Adam Schefter being mm-hmm. there. You're never going to be the number one face of NFL, and you have that kind of opportunity to to make a name for yourself as a senior NFL insider at The Athletic. What I love the most is that she talked about who she consulted when she decided to go to The Athletic. And she, said, call, she sets it up in the article to be like she called her dad, called this older man. Nope. She did what any proud Jersey girl would do. She called Bill Parcells. Get out of here. Bill Parcells was the one giving her advice about how to do her job. It was fantastic. Uh, It was a great lead in and uh, hope hope she has big success. I thought you were going to give me something better. Like she's like, I went by my local deli and I talked to the butcher who makes my uh, Taylor ham and egg on a bagel. And he said, you know what? You can always go back to ESPN. Big roost. You're a big character. You can do whatever you want. But, uh, But I do understand that whole NFL insider thing, man. It means a lot to a lot of those people. And how much more was she going to bump up, right, Candy? At ESPN. Exactly. Thank you, Adam Candy. Fine job today. Go back to the piano and start practicing. I'm glad it made it through the rain. I could do some Barry Manilow right now, but I will not. See you, Damon.